Read along with me if you would. Genesis should be, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And if you do, awesome. Open it up. First book, Genesis chapter 7. As long as you can count, you're good. It says this in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven of each clean animal, male and female, two of each of the animals that are unclean, a male and female, and seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all the things which I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah and his sons, his wife, and his son's wife went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of the clean animals, of the animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. And in the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the seventh—I'm sorry—in the second month, in the seventeenth day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. Now on the same day, Noah and Noah's sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and, th- and the three wives of his sons were with him. They entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, after the cattle, after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. And so they entered, male and female, of all flesh, they went in as God had commanded them, and then the Lord shut them in, shut him in. Now, the flood was on the earth forty days, the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and on all the high hills above the whole heavens they were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in, who are the, all in whose nostrils were the breath of the Spirit of life, and all that was on the dry land, died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, bird of the air, and they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. You pray with me, please. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to open your word. I thank you so much, Lord, for what you're going to accomplish in this time. I am so thankful, Lord, that you have ordained this specific time for this chapter and this season of this, what you're doing in this fellowship. Lord, I thank you for the way you're rallying us around and drawing us close, Lord. I'm so excited to see what you're going to do, Lord, in the time to come. And here we are, Lord, on a rainy day and outside there are puddles, Lord, and here we are talking about everybody dying in water. And Lord, uh, what an 
exciting and joyful day it could be, Lord. And uh, Lord, we, we just pray, Lord, that you would turn our hearts to you in every way so that we'd have your heart and to recognize your grief in this matter, Lord. And yet in this, how you want to make such clear a point in regards to, to these men, Lord, to Noah and his sons, Lord, and his wife and their wives and, and what you're going to accomplish through that, Lord, how you started the world through one and yet now through three, Lord, very evidently, Lord, are going to take the entire world and repopulate it. And, and I just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in that situation, Lord. So, Father, please, have your way now, I pray. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflowing that I douse, Lord, deluge this precious fellowship with your Holy Spirit. And let your scripture come alive. Let there be fun here, Lord. And let there be learning. And let us be drawn to you in such a way, Lord, that this makes more sense than it ever did. That it will be more than just a story, Lord, to us. But, Lord, today it will be profound ministry to our very beings. So, Lord, you know what to do to make that happen. And we just commit it to you. Lord, I pray that you would just bring everything you intend your word to do now. Speak to each one of us, individually as well as corporately, Lord, so that we would not escape what it is you want to tell us. And Lord, in that, as a body, as a fellowship, as a family, Lord, continue to knit us together for your glory as a tapestry, Lord, of your majesty. And we commit every second of this redeem it, we pray, to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I would say this morning as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let them always have the final say. Now, there's a couple texts I want to bring out in the beginning of this just to kind of really show the, the kind of gravity of this particular situation. Now understand, God doesn't take this situation lightly. This is not like, oh yeah, by the way, I kind of wiped out almost everyone and started over. This is one of the most landmark moments in all of scripture. And it will become so fundamental for the entire rest of the text because because the issue is that our God is a God who doesn't take it lying down. This is Our God is not a God who's just a little wuss, a little wimp that cares enough that he's not going to protect his own. And what we see in this text is that God is strong enough to handle whatever he wants to handle in this. And he's not going to be bullied or pushed about by somebody with a larger opinion than what appears that he has. Now, in this recognizing, there's a couple of texts. Now, listen to this text, by the way, in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it tells us that in the last days scoffers will come. And their whole thing was, well, where is this coming that you've promised? Ever since the beginning of creation, things have been just the way that they've always been. Listen, ever since things were created, ever since the beginning of existence, things have always just kind of carried on the way that they've always carried on. And then tells us in this, though, in verse 5, that knowing this, that they willingly forget... That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and on the earth, standing out of water and in water, by which then the world, in the way that it currently existed at the day, perished, and the way that it existed being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth are now preserved for the same word, but this time they're reserved for fire. Now, the whole point is this is that someone looks and they go, what is this Jesus thing you're talking about? Oh yeah, you're, he's going to come back. Oh wow, that's so weird and fruity. And why don't you shave your head and give me a flower and run around with mustard on your head? I mean, what is this? This is a weird thing. I mean, you, 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 what, you have a relationship with some guy that lived 3,000, 5,000 miles away 2,000 years ago when he talks to you and that's not weird to you, right? And he's going to come back, back and whoo, suck you into the sky and that's normal for you. And you know, that's got to sound weird. And it's like, you know, I'm on, come on. 
look at things die, they're born, they live. That's just the way it is. It's always been this way. This world's never been altered. You're like, God's going to, like, there's a God and he's going to step in this thing and alter everything as we know it. And they willingly forget that there was this event that God has already done that has already altered everything that we know. And they willingly forget that. It tells us, by the way, and Jesus tells us in the last days, and this is in Luke chapter 17, that in the last days, they will be like the days of Noah. And it tells us that men were, were, were married, and they were given to marriage and, they, in marriage, and they ate, and they drank, they married wives, and they did all these things until the very day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And what he tells us is, is that while Noah's entering the ark, people were still getting wasted around him. They're like, oh, yeah, there's that fruitcake again. What a nut he is. While they're sitting there getting all wasted, and Noah's entering an ark, which is going to be, if you will, the rescue ride. And while, while that's happening, everyone else is looking, and he goes, that's the way it's going to be in the end. Is that, as weird as this is, now understand from the beginning of this, let me kind of develop a little bit about where we're at and how bizarre this really is, and then put it into the context of where we're at in Scripture. Now understand, God has called Noah to do something that is really, if you think about it, as bizarre as anything could be. I mean, he's told them that you have to build a boat in a place, by the way, where there appears not to be water. And it tells us that I want you to build this gigantic boat. And if you remember, it's going to be enormous. And yet, though this thing is going to be enormous... You're going to build this thing because what I need is a floating zoo. It's going to be a giant shoebox, basically three levels high with one window, so you can think it's free range. And uh, and in all of that, you're going to be able to... And what you're going to do is, and listen to this, here's the beauty. If you read the text, it says, I'm going to bring the animals to you. Now, don't miss that because praise God, because Noah's got a lot of work to do for the hundred next 100, 120 years. So what you have in all of this is, look at my job will be, I'll bring all the animals to you two by two, and there'll be seven of these other animals because, well, we're going to need some food on the boat. But for the rest of us, you know, we're going to bring two by two, and I'm going to bring them in, and your job is to usher them into their little places, little caverns, because they're going to float, and I'm going to kill everything else. And it's interesting, because what he tells us is, is that the entire world seems to be governed by violence, which seems to me to mean, and hear this out, and weigh this on your own, that the influence of man affects things so far beyond we can comprehend. It tells us that the influence of man now has affected everything around us. So I want you to build this gigantic boat because something new is going to happen. Water is going to fall from the sky. Now understand, according to Genesis chapter 3, nothing of the sort had ever happened. There was water that existed above the earth, water that existed below the earth, because we know we separated that back in creation. But there was no time ever, ever where water had fallen from the sky. Now, for us, that's normal. We live in London. If there was one thing that's normal in London, other than congestion and people, it's water falling from the sky. But when you have to tell people that have never seen that, think about how weird you would sound. So I want you to build this gigantic thing, harness all of this stuff in, because sooner or later, well, it's all going to end. So let's put it into context. Let's just say, and by the way, again, somewhere down the line, God said, remember, my spirit will not strive with man forever. His days will be 120 years. Now, whether that's as long as he's going to live or what's clear is it's before Noah had his kids. Noah was 500 years old is what the Bible tells us. He was 500 years old when he had these three children. They appear to be triplets. Now, with that then, 600 years is when the rain falls. That's 100 years in between. Somewhere before he has those kids, he says, my spirit will not strive with man. His day will be 120 years. It's logical to think that 
could have been 20 years before that, which would be 120 years before the flood. I hope that didn't lose you. But the idea is, if that were the case, so let's just put it into context. God comes to James. And, he's, and, he's, and, he says, and he says to James, now James, James kind of has a little clue of something, because his grandpa, remember, his grandpa's name is, his death is going to bring it. So that's, I mean, it's a long name, but just the same, there it is. So grandson of his death is going to bring it, and grandpa's still alive, and he's going to live for quite a while, by the way. He's going to live until the flood. He'll die the year of the flood. And so he says, so God says, no, James, here's the deal. Dirt is going to fall from the sky. Big, 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 just endless amounts of dirt. Also, I'm going to have dirt rise up from everywhere. And so this is the problem. is because of man's behavior, all of the fruit trees of the world have gone corrupt. So this is what I want you to make. A gigantic flower pot. I mean, like a 17-story flower pot, James. Okay, and what I want you to do is I want you to build this giant flower pot... And as you build this giant flower pot, what I want you to do is sooner or later, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, right? And I'm going to whistle and all of the fruit trees are going to pop up out of the sky, out of the ground and doink to doink to doink to doink. They're going to come over two by two so that we can make sure they can have the cross-pollination and all that stuff. And the, 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 the orange trees can be sweet and all that. So, so this is your job. I want you to get working on this, okay? Go for it, because sooner or later, I'm going to kill men with dirt, because they're kind of dirt anyway, so it's kind of redundant, and poof, we're going to just get them with dirt. Okay, go! Now, which one of you thinks, awesome, let's just go for it. No one's going to have a problem with this. There isn't a person on the planet that isn't going to think that James isn't freaked out for that one. It doesn't matter who it is. He has to tell dad. Remember, his dad means the one who mourns. He's like, hey, the one who mourns, um... God kind of gave me a vision. Really, James, that's really important. Rest. That's what Noach means, rest. Really rest. What's, his, what is, what's the... What's, well, it's kind of... God says I... And how do you compromise? Right? Do you like... God says I should kind of get into botany. <laughs> that's neat, son. You're a little young for gardening, but go ahead. Just to say, Well, there's a little bit more to it. That I should kind of build a little garden... Well, it is England. It's a good place for gardens. Yeah, well, it's kind of bigger than your average garden, Dad. Kind of. Well, first of all, what I'm going to need is all the terracotta that exists between here and Italy. And we're going to need it all. We're going to need to put it, we need to grind that stuff up. And we're going to need to get, and we need to build a big kiln, Dad. I mean, a big kiln. And at that point already, Dad's kind of being lost. He's like, James, just what's, what's going on here? What's going on? And, and, you know, at that point, he's taking James in for a drug test. You know, he's got that little, hey, can you breathe into this thing? No, 0.00. Okay, no tiramisu for you. And, 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 all this, and okay, so in all of this, and James is okay. Now, get this, Grandpa's still alive. Remember, when he dies, it comes. Grandpa's still alive. And James is... And all of a sudden, James starts making this gigantic thing that looks a little bit like an oblong water tower that kind of shoots out in its directions with a little dish on the side, so it kind of looks nice. Little daisies maybe painted on the side, right, or whatever. And James is on... And so, somewhere down the line, 20 years into this thing, you know, all of a sudden, his wife turns to him and says, I'm pregnant. And he's like, hmm, well, that's an interesting turn of events. Well... 
God bless you in that. I got a, I got a flower pot to build, right? And so off he goes building his flower pot, and there she goes, and she all of a sudden, I mean, and this is before ultrasound, and all of a sudden out comes a child, and they're like, wow, this will be help. Whoa, here comes a second child. Whoa, oh, here comes a third child, right? You go, okay, little out. Now, first time in Scripture we'd have anything like that if it's the case. It just says, all it says in Scripture is that he was 500 years when these three sons were born. Now, you can try to figure out how that works for her sake, I hope it was triplets. Either way. So, three boys, you know, and they're all boys. Right? Alright. God's going to wipe out the earth and I've got three boys. Is there a part of you that thinks, wow, what do I do now? Okay, I want these boys to come with me. And what's interesting is, is that as crazy as the call is that God puts on this man's life, listen, listen, listen to this, as crazy as the call is that he has on this life, his kids are going to get dragged into that vision whether he likes it or not. Even if he tries to hide it from them, everyone's still going to go, oh, you're the kid of that crazy dad. You know, yo, you're, you're Mr. Planters, your kids, you know, the happy farmer, the freaked out farmer, you know. And so, and, but sooner or later, it's like, if we, do we ever read in this that his kids help him? Now, you know, if you watch enough of the movies, you think they all do. And perhaps you are going to, maybe they do, maybe they don't. We don't have text of it either way. All we know is that somewhere in all of this, they get in the ark with them. That we do know. Somewhere down the line, here gets the crazy thing. They can't be totally socially shunned. And how do we know that? Because they all get married. So somewhere down the line, there's some woman crazy enough to marry the guy whose dad is the freaked out farmer. Now think about it. Each one of them has their own. Now up to this point, it doesn't appear as if any of them have kids. For what that's worth. So somewhere in this, and here's the crazy thing is, it's going to take him, it looks like, 100 to 120 years to finish this gigantic flower pot. Now put that in the context of our society. So in the beginning of it all, James just sort of makes, you know, he has to get property somewhere. So he looks someplace where he can afford property, which we could all agree is probably Lithuania. But for here, he gets, and somehow he gets this gigantic farm and he starts building this giant flower pot. I mean, this has, I mean, the base of it has to be enormous, right? And as he builds this giant thing, you know, someone's walking around going, what, what, what are you doing? You know? And he's like, well, I'm building a gigantic flower pot. He's like, oh. And off this guy goes to talk to the neighbors and everyone else about the weirdo that's making this giant flower pot. Now, he starts making it. As he starts making it, three stories into it, four stories into it, what happens? The booths come. Think about it. The little stalls show up. Get your shirt, get your shirt, gigantic, gigantic flower pot for crazy farmer. Get your shirt, postcard, six for a six for pound post. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it happen? I mean, by the time this thing gets to be 17 stories tall, it is now one of the five most visited attractions in all of England. Think about it. And now people are coming from, oh, that's this thrust, this thrust, this thrust. Take my picture with the big flower pot. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, by this point, everybody's coming from all over the place. And here's the point of it. As bizarre, it has to be that bizarre for the whole world to get to know this thing. Because if it wasn't that weird, and it was just sort of like, I'm just making a little boat just in case I can kind of flood the ground and kind of, who would care? But when it's this gigantic thing, nobody in the known world isn't going to know about it. It's the rumor, it's the legend that people travel all over. It has to be that weird. It has to be that weird for the world to know. 
It has to be that weird to become a a topic of conversation. It has to be that weird. I mean, think about it. You walk around and you go home and go, well, I saw a guy with blue hair today. Wow, that was real exciting. You know, three days into Camden, you don't make that conversation anymore. That's just ordinary. I saw a guy without blue hair today. Oh, that was kind of weird. I saw a guy with a normal haircut. Woo, weird. I saw a guy without any piercings. Strange, he's probably a foreigner. And, (laughs) you know, and... You know, and it's like, and sooner or later, but it's like, okay, it ha- I mean, what comes weird when, the, when society has gotten this far into it? When society has gotten this violent, so they're totally numb to that. It's become this degrading of women, so it has, so that's not an issue anymore. What do you have left? I mean, you, get, you can only get so perverse, you can only get so violent. What's left? What's left is this weird guy making a giant flower pot. Or a weird guy making a giant boat because water's going to fall out of the sky. And, you know, and everyone's like, and of course, oh, you don't believe this, but water's going to fall out of the sky. Water's going to fall out of the sky. What's wrong with this guy? He's a nut. Once it gets crazier, get this. Animals are going to come two by two. You know, little ostriches holding wing to wing and just kind of penguins waddling into the thing. And wait, oh, man. And, just, and, and here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. He really believes it. That's what makes us talk. So what makes us talk is the fact that this guy, as weird as it is, there's a respect for... I mean, don't you have respect even for a loony if they're really at least sold out to what they believe in? Because nobody believes in anything anymore. And because nobody seems to believe in anything anymore, we just don't... It's like, well, who respects that? Everyone's a politician. They're so busy not stepping on someone's toes. Finally, someone steps up. I mean, how do you think Hitler got where he was? One thing you can say for him is he really believed what he, what he believed. I mean, he believed it to say he thought he was a super race, so why not wipe out everything else? It was a logical conclusion. That's exactly what Darwin taught, and that's what he went with. I mean, why is it the cold leaders seem to have so much success? The reason they have so much success is because they really believe often what they believe. They're the only people that are willing to step on your toes to say, you're wrong. And I realized in all of that, this guy, this guy was sold out. This guy was, according to the scriptures, was a preacher of righteousness. And every day, as that thing got bigger, different people came and more crowds came and tour buses showed up on chariots, you know? That's it. And here we have to our left the giant flower pot, you know? And the giant flower crack pot, you know? And, and there's James Huff, sorry I don't have time to sign any autographs, I'm too busy making the 64th level of this, you know? And, and in all of it, but as weird as it is, and the crazy thing is somewhere down the line, the kids have to be able to say, you know, my dad, as weird as it may seem, but I can tell you he really believed this thing we don't have i mean think about what we don't have in our text we don't have god showing up every day to go and go wow it's just goes it's turning out really well i mean somewhere down the line james got the call and then we read that god says the next time he gets communicated with it's a week before the shuts down that's a hundred years it's 120 years of him doing this on one call he got back that long ago. Now think about that. When do you stop? So you came to London. Big dreams. Really want to see the world touched. And you know the Lord said it, man. He made it really clear. You know as a Christian, you're like, <clears throat> all right, you want me to minister to my family? You want me to reach out to blah, 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 my workplace, my whatever? And you got in the call, and you knew it. It was a clarion call when you got it, man. You knew it was really clear. I mean, it was evident. It was very clear. 
But then, um, then, then problems came. People started making fun of you. You became a social reject. You became something that was a topic of, well, you were the butt end of the joke now. And in all of that, there's a part of you that goes, man, did I hear you right? Though the vision was so ridiculously clear, though the call was so evident, somewhere down the line you're like, but man, it just seems so weird now. Are you, are you, am I sure? God's like, you were sure when I told you. What kind of faith does it take to take that kind of call and respond to it? I mean, think about it. I mean, but to respond to it for a long period of time, knowing that every step you take in this is going to be mocked by every person around you. Every step. Because that's, the, that's the, the faith Noah has. And I want that kind of faith. How about you? Because truth be told, the last days are going to be like those days, which means to take a right step is not going to be applauded by anyone but God, and you may not hear it until you get there. That's what it shows me here. Now in Scripture, remember, with, after the fall, we have two lineages. We have the lineage of Cain, we have the lineage of Seth. Seth means compensation. Cain means for all evident purpose. It means mortality. Mortality's thing is, he's, remember, that the two things that become characteristic of a group of people who are not dwelling in God's presence are violence and bigamy, disregard for the care of women, and, of course, a disregard for human life in general. That becomes very evident. And then you have Seth, where everything is investment in people and people and people and people and people. And then that becomes the real difference. Is this is, and the difference, of course, is how we approach each other, how we approach God. Cain approaches God on Cain's terms. Seth approaches God on God's terms. Am I approaching God on my terms or on his? Because that'll be the difference in the world. Everyone has no problem with approaching God as long as it's on their terms. I'm approaching God on his terms, which is through the word of Jesus Christ. And then in that violence, disregard for people, men and women on this side, on this side, it's all about regard for people. And that's where I'm at with all of this. And the issue is who gets the greater influence. By last chapter, what we read is, is that the entire earth has gotten corrupt now. What happens is these guys over here that were sons of God, serving under the Lord, saying, you first, you know, others second, now look and see the daughters of those guys over there and they go, those girls are fine and they kind of scoot over to this camp and now like the boat, the whole boat starts to rock to this side because now the momentum pushes everyone there and by the point we get to the end of the last chapter it says that everybody, that the whole place is just corrupt other than this guy and his family, at that point it was just this guy and his wife because he wasn't even had kids yet and what you realize is it's like the entire world now is violent, the entire world is just sex-ridden in all the worst of ways. And with all of that happening, God says, this is time. See, it got to the point where it says, every intent of the thought of the hearts of man were continually evil constantly. I mean, you can't get another, you know, absolute in that particular sentence. It's already glutted. And the idea is, you can't even get a thought out. You can't even intend to get a thought out because the thing is so saturated in evil by this point. Your heart is irreparably hardened. And God says, that's when we end this. And the reason he ends it isn't because people are evil, because people will always be evil. The reason is is because the people that were on this side have lost their influence because they cease to be people on this side. They cease to be God's people. It will always be the situation that when God's people decide what they want to do is get jiggy with the people over here, is ultimately what will happen is, is there's no influence. No one's dragging anyone over to this side. What's happening is they're coming over here to take. They're not going over there to give. And with that, then, there's a guy named Noah, and God says, look, at you're the, you realize you and your wife, you're the only ones left? And we don't even read that he calls his wife righteous. He just says, I found you're righteous, Noah. You're complete. As far as anyone I can find is complete, you're complete. And so, you're so righteous in my sight that I'm going to make you do something weird. Now, how crazy is that? Weird. 
And people, and by the way, you're aware of the fact that most of the bad counsel you'll get often could be from people who genuinely love you because they mean well, but they're like, you know, stop being so crazy. I mean, would there be a person in Noah's life anywhere? I know who knows where Noah's wife is on all this. We don't read. Maybe God was just kind of to tell us. But who doesn't care enough for James to go, James, man, I love you, bro, but you got to stop working on this flower pot thing, man. You're freaking me out, you know? I mean, people that are Christians. People in James's prayer group, you know? And it's like, you know, James, maybe when you did that kick and you fell, did you land on your head? Is there, you know, something? What happened in all of this, you know? Uh, and, but, but I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because I love you. And James is like, you know what? If you love me and you know that I'm confident. Now, now hear me out, beloved, because we have to get into the text, but you can see why this is so important. Look at it. If James heard God wrong, but built the gigantic flower pot anyways, which, by the way, that's not a prophecy, so don't blame me. <laughs> would God bless him for it? Honestly, would God bless him for it? He would absolutely bless him for it. Because the bottom line was James was obeying what he understood God to do. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's those times when people are like, you know, I don't know if I have God right, so I'm not going to obey. God's like, that's still disobedience. Let's stop playing games with God as if somehow we could sort of intellectually say, it doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to obey it. God will understand. Because they're going to call you to do something weird because it's the weird thing that's going to get attention. So the people will say, what in the world are you doing? Yeah, they're going to mock. They couldn't possibly understand. But it'll be their only hope. So is it weird? Yeah, it's weird. Get over it. It's weird. Is it going to be mocked? Yes, it's going to be mocked. Get over it. It's going to be mocked. But if God told you to do something, do it. Just that simple. Do it. Because in this text now, people are going to be responding. <coughs> Noah's going to be responding. And if Noah doesn't, everything else perishes. I mean, his children perish. I mean, the animals perish. And I'll show you that as we get into the text. But let me show you where it starts. And this is so beautiful and profound. Look at verse 1 with me. And already, woof, we're at verse 1. Yeah, yeah, we're right. It's a little word and you can miss it. The Lord... Then, first, of course, it's important to note, the Lord, again, the idea of God speaking to someone with a will, said, you go over there to that ark. Is that what he says? No, as a matter of fact, look at the word he uses. The word is what? Come. Now, look at the difference between come and go. If I say, Sandy, go. Chances are, and I'm not saying that, but if I, if, if I were, I would be sending her away from me. If I say, Micah, come. Think of the difference. Where is God then at this moment? He appears to be in the ark. Because he's going, come into the ark. He's not going, go into the ark, Noah, go. He's going, come on, guess where I'm at at the moment. This is the one thing that's going to save you. And this is the most beautiful thing. 1,591 verses in Scripture have the word come in it. Because it's a very important word in Scripture. Listen, Isaiah... <coughs> excuse me, the beginning of it, 118. 
Come, let us reason together. Um, Psalm 34, 8, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isaiah 55, 1, you with no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you work for what is not bread and labor so hard for what does not satisfy? Listen, incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. <clears throat> and I realize that every step of your walk with Christ will be the call to come. It will never be just go. Though we read, go into all the world. But remember what he says with that? Lo, I am with you always. There's no part where you're going alone. Listen, little little side thing on this, but it's so beautiful for me as I'm... And again, understand, I'm not studying this to teach you. I'm studying this for my walk with, you, with the Lord. John one thirty nine. When they say, who, who are you? Who are you staying, Jesus, at the beginning? And he says, come and see. And I realize... Jesus will be the one who calls, come for my investigation of him. Then in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's not only there for my investigation, he also bids me come for my resuscitation. Matthew 4, verse 19, <clears throat> Jesus looks at the, the, the fisherman, and he says, Come follow me. And he realized, for my advocation, for me to actually take the occupation of my calling, He's the one who bids me call, bids me come. And Matthew 14, 28, when Peter sees Jesus on the water, and he goes, if it really is you, Jesus, because this is the one thing I know about your relationship with me, bid me to come under the water. And I realize, if I want my initiation of faith, I mean, when I really want to step out in faith, it will be at his call to come. I realize that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, when John is now called up into heaven, it's the Lord who says, Come, John, come up here and see this. And it's the Lord who calls me for revelation. And the end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, listen. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him drink of the water of life freely. And I realize that for intimation as well, listen, for my investigation, my resuscitation, for my advocation or my occupation, for my initiation, for my revelation, for my intimation, every bit of it comes at the respond, the response to God calling me to come. There's no part of my walk that he's just going to go, go and figure it out on your own and we'll, maybe I'll catch up with you at the end of it all. He says, come. Come and find out who I am. Come and give your life to me. Come and let me make you a disciple. Come and let me give you a calling. Come and let me use that calling. Come and let me have you step out in faith and follow me. Come let me reveal to you what the heavens are like. Come and let me reveal to you what I want to do with your life. Everything is come because I want you saved. And you can't save. You can't be saved if you just know you have to come. And he looks at Noah and he just says, come into this ark. Don't just follow. Don't go do no because look at I need you in first. Listen, I need listen, listen, I need you in first. Because you're righteous. You're right with me. And you found favor. I, I love you. I, I, have, I have grace for you. And so I'm gonna call you to do something weird. But here's the cool part. I'm gonna do the weird thing with you. Let's go do a weird thing. Now, that's weird. That's actually not a weird thing for me to look at James and say, because that's our relationship. It's like, you know, let's go do a weird thing. Where do you want to go eat? James, you have one shot. Okay, well, let's go find the weirdest place. Where do they serve tarantula? Let's try that, you know? And James is like, okay, I should have said Burger King. So, 
But here's God, and, and to understand God's not going, let's just do something. It's like, look at maybe, maybe, maybe God's saying, let's do something weird because you're just too cool right now for, for what I want to do in you. You're too busy protecting you. And you know what the problem is? That, that hits me. I don't know about you. Because I'm pretty cool. No, because I'm busy protecting whatever the cool I think I am. But, but, but think about it. But there's moments the Lord's like, look at, look at. Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all. Like, if I'm going to cramp your style, you've got too much of it. That's just the bottom line. And, and I, I'm going to call you to do something weird, to be honest, because when you're actually in that place and you're like, and you realize at the moment, you're like, you know, actually, this is kind of fun. Because you were too cool to have fun a moment ago, but now we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun doing something weird so that everyone else will talk about it. Because when everyone else talks about it, the gospel is going to go out. And I want to save people. I'm, I'm not in the business of making you cool. I'm in the business of keeping you from frying in the fire, which is a lot more than cool. And if that's the case, are you willing to walk with me in this? Come with me and be weird. So, what happens? Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen you're righteous before me in this generation. Now I want you to take with me seven clean animals. Now what's weird is, we're not going to find out about clean and unclean animals until um, Leviticus 11. So, I mean, we're going to discover kind of laws about cloven hoofs and chewing cud and things that you should eat and shouldn't eat, shellfish and all those things back, you know, in those days. Um, However, here, it's like, you can imagine Noah going, exactly what part's clean and what isn't clean? And God's like, look it, I'm the one who's going to bring the animal, so you don't even have to worry about it. it We we don't read anywhere that Noah kind of goes, five, six, seven, stop, sorry, you guys are going to have to drown, the rest of you come in, you know. And if that were the, ca- the case, he would want to be one quick penguin. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, think about it. You know, it's like, okay, uh, six, okay, seven, you know, whatever. And, and, the, and actually, I think they're probably unclean. But anyways, the point, though, is, is that it just seems like he brought what was necessary. I mean, that seems to be the point. And remember, that's, it's God's job to gather. Listen, it's God's job to gather in. Here's the church. We want to see this place. I want to see God infect all of London. And here we are in this little octagon on the side of a church. And it's going to be one day we'll look back at this and we'll giggle about how you got the kind of Will and Kate blessing as you walked in as the, the, the banner's still there or whatever. And, and all the cool little, you know, that stuff. But, uh, but in the end of it all, it's like, God, we, we wouldn't have be awesome if this room was just so cramped full of people but the bottom line is God's the one who's got to gather them my job is just to get in the ark because if I'm not in the ark what difference does it make if everything else is in there because they aren't going to get in there anyways because it tells us in verse 4 after 7 more days I want you getting in because you got a week now this is it this is our 2 minute warning well our 7 day warning because after 7 days this thing's all closing so this is our last call. I will call. I will cause it to rain on the earth now at this point do you want to go out one more time and talk to all the people because it looks like the boat's done I mean, you're done. I mean, and I think this is a pretty profound thing. What do you do when the boat's done? Boat's built. Things are looking good. In that sense, it's still the biz- most bizarre thing everyone else has ever seen. And he's like, look, it, I just want you to let you know, it's seven days, man, and we're done here. So seven more days, and the ridicule is going to be done. Seven more days, and there'll be no more pointing, and no more tour buses, and no more, you know, sun bulletin, biggest idiot of the year. Wow, five years running, or 70 years running, or whatever, you know? I'm the biggest idiot, you know, or whatever. It's like, but but on the other side of it, it's like in seven days, the reason it'll be silence because those people will be dead. And God's like, I'm not happy about that. The reason I had you do this weird thing in the first place is because I wanted them saved. The real sad thing is what becomes evident is they don't really care anyways. So I want you to get all the things in there. All of them that I have made, verse, end of verse 4. Look at I made it. I have a right to take it back. Verse 5, it tells us, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. 
And I find it interesting because Noah's obedience will affect the entire world. I mean, not just... And this isn't Noah just going, well, his household's going to be touched, though they will. His whole, everyone, the entire world's going to be affected by this. 600 years when the flood came on the, on the earth, verse uh, 6, verse 7. So listen, Noah, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And all the animals then went as well. Notice it says, and look at verse, look at verse, um, verse 9. Two by two they went into the ark. Look at the next two words. To Noah. That includes his family, by the way. And so get this. <clears throat> God's like, I'm calling them to you. You've got a big responsibility here because I'm going to use you and your weirdness to save the entire world. It never says that Noah was weird. It never says that Noah was just a bizarre enough guy walking around with tin foil on the head trying to avoid gamma rays and yelling at himself in a storefront reflection. God says, you're perfect. Why don't you build me a giant boat? It tells us that he was righteous enough to obey which is different than just weird enough to do something weird. And because he was righteous enough to obey, the Lord says, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to call them. And this is what he tells us about the animals. I'm going to bring them to you. They're coming to you. Where are you going to be when they come? Listen, I'm going to bring them to you. Where are you going to be? Because where you need to be is in the ark. Because it's the one thing that's going to save them. It's interesting. There'll be three arcs in Scripture. The first one will be it as salvation. The second one will be an it with the Savior in it. And that will be um, Moses. Remember the ark that will save him, but he'll be used then to save the people. And then the third one will be the ark, which, by the way, God dwells and the Savior of all mankind dwells between. And I think how God kind of moves us from the it to the him, and he does that pretty wisely. Now, in all of that, it tells us then, Noah went in, he went into the boat, and when he went into the ark, then God says, now that you're in, I can bring everything else in. I want you in first. Now you're in, right? You're in, because I'm making you influential on your friends. I'm making you powerful among the people around you, and they're going to get in what you're into. They're going to get into it. What are you into? Because the thing you're most into, they're going to get into. What are you getting into? And so, so Noah's like, well, you told me the ark. That's what I'm getting into. And he says, good, get in the ark then. He says, all right, honey, let's go. And imagine, okay, well, you know, we're 600 now. And, <laughs> all right, well, nothing like repopulating the entire world at 600, you know. Which, by the way, we're not going to read that Noah has any more kids. Which I think is really important. Now think about this. God started and populated the world with one couple. That couple was Adam and Eve. The world was populated. And then the entire old was washed away in a flood. And then God repopulated with three. Because now it's going to be really evident that three are going to be the, the point. And I think that's interesting because if you look at the Old Testament, everyone's seeking to follow the one God. That's very clear. But by the New Testament, it becomes very evident that one God is comprised of three parts. Very much like this. And it's like, look, we are so thankful for the Holy Spirit that teaches us and reminds us what Jesus has taught us. We're so thankful for the Savior of all mankind, Jesus the Christ. And for the Father who has adopted us as his own, all three parts working as one. And here it is in this. And Noah went into the ark. And with that, he goes, now I can bring everyone in. Are you in now? Are you into this? Are you in it? Because if you're in it, then I'm going to bring him in. So you're in it, so I'm going to bring him in. So in comes his family first, and I think that's interesting. Because like, look at your family's not going to follow you if you're not in it. You may you may tell everyone you're in it, but they'll know those your kid, those kids are not dumb. They'll know if you're in it or not. But if you're in it, they'll follow. So they went in. It came to pass after seven days, and the water came. The first time, by the way, the mention of a season in the year, or a month in the year, in verse 17, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, first time we actually have that, for what it's worth. I find it interesting, the 17th day of the month, 
Because the next time we actually see a time temple, it'll be the 17th day of the seventh month when this actual when this boat actually lands on Ararat. And so it says, on that day, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. What that tells us is that there was water underneath the earth, and the windows of heaven were opened up, as we see even today. And with that, then the rain of the earth came, and it rained for 40 nights. I find this interesting. 40 nights. What's so important about that? Is that God is going to use 40 as a very key thing, as you're probably aware of. 40 is a very important thing for the Lord. And in that, by the way, I find it to be a very big season of testing. The flood will be 40 days. And again, not just 40 years, because we'll see that with a lot of other things, but 40 specifically, 40 days and nights. The flood, Moses will go up on the mountain to receive the law. He'll be gone 40 days and 40 nights. By the way, the spies will go and spy out the land, which will come back, of course, 10 with a very bad report. Uh, Two, of course, with a report, God said, give it to us. The land is beautiful. Let's go get it. Again, Goliath, by the way, challenges the people for 40 days and 40 nights, if you remember that. Nineveh, when, when um, Jonah comes in, he says, you've got 40 days and 40 nights, man, this is it, 40 days. And then after that, you're toast. Loose, loose paraphrase. Jesus is tempted for 40 days, of course. And I think the, day, the days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension were 40 days. And I find that each one of those is really, if you think about it, it's going to be a season of testing. 40 tends to be a time that really kind of proves and clarifies and deepens our understanding of things. For what it's worth, by the way, pregnancy is 40 weeks, for what it's worth. So, um, with all of that, it tells us in verse 13, At the same day, Noah and his sons, Shamchem and Hepheth, and his wife then, they entered the ark um, with him. And every beast of its kind, they all did as well. Verse 15, they went into the ark to Noah. Notice again, to Noah. God makes very clear twice now that they didn't come unless he was there. And they're not going to come if you're not. Two by two of all flesh, which is on the breath of life. They entered male and female, just in case anyone has any confusion about how God feels about all that, as God commanded them. And notice this, this is very fundamental in verse 16. Well, the issue is, how do you close that gigantic door? It has to be a door big enough to get a couple elephants in. Big enough to get who knows whatever else in. That's a really big door. By this point, he's got a couple kids. They appear to be, well, he's got three kids that are all 100 years old. So they're, you know, they're infants. They're young and they're before their prime. They're only 100, right? You know, and, and in this, but and while all of this is happening, what's interesting is during this time, something else must be happening. And that is that grandpa's getting really, really sick. Because remember, when he dies, it comes and he dies the year that this happens. So somewhere in all of this, he dies. And you're like, uh-oh, it comes. God's like, yeah, it comes. I'll give you a week. Get your house in order. It's time. You got a week. And with that, now everything comes in. And here's the cool part. Well, what would it be like to be there and then watch God go? But I want to remind you where God is in all of this. Because it's the difference between being fearful and not. Because if I were in the boat, everything else is in the boat with me. And God's on the outside. And I see God going. Just seal the door. I'd be like, uh oh. But if God's on the inside, he goes, all right, James, I'm glad you're here. Nice flower pot. And he's like, and then he seals it up. There's a part of me that goes, ooh, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about this already. And the Lord sealed him in. Listen, your job's to get in, God's job is to keep you in, His job's to seal you there. It tells us in Ephesians 1 13, having believed, if you have believed, that's what it takes to get in. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise to guarantee your inheritance. God sealed you. Your job is to get in. His job is to seal, is to shut you in. And by the way, there's no part of that that feels like a prison as long as the Lord's there. 
You know, and I, I would be like, wow, I wonder what it was like, Lord. Could you tell me what it was like with great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, when he actually saw you make these things and you, he named them? And what would it be like to walk around that ark for a moment? And you think, man, it would be nasty and smelly and rotten. Of course, all those things. Why? Because that's the way we understand something. Well, if that's the way it was today. But, but if the Lord's there, could it have been? Who knows what it could have been? He could have made the whole thing look like Eden. I mean, the Lord wasn't there. Wouldn't that have been kind of cool? If, if you think about it, what if the, the ark was basically a, a, basically a floating Eden for him to actually have a second Adam to sit around with? A second Adam? Wait a minute, that's what, no, what, what Romans is going to tell me Jesus is. And he's like, wow, you know, you want to walk around with me in this? Let's talk about this for a second. If God's the one who could make every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight and good for food, couldn't he have made them grow on the ark if he wanted to? I mean, we tend to think, wow, what a labor of love and what a strenuous, stinky, nasty place. Good thing we had a window. I'd probably be living where the window was, right? <laughs> I don't know what smells worse, my three sons or that elephant, you know, or whatever. Or, or could it have been that the Lord just kind of went, well, let's just make this thing a little hint of paradise and let's hang out. Because the bottom line is if you're with him, it's going to feel like it anyways, right? And so they went in to Noah and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days, and the waters increased, and then here's our rescue ride. What does it look like when we're actually in where we belong? What happens is we're always going to be on top of the wrath. The wrath may be underneath us, and there will be chaos and pandemonium and suffering. Listen, when you're in the, res- in the rescue ride, you will always be on top of it. You'll always be on top of it. And in the world around us, it's easy for this world to get on top of us. Man, there are suffering and weirdnesses and crazinesses and possessions and all kinds of things that seem so common. Man, you just feel like you're trying to sneak underneath a blanket to the next spot. And the Lord tells us, if you're actually in the rescue ride, you're going to actually be on top of the whole thing. Then what happens is the higher it gets, the higher you get. Because this rescue ride has to be raised up if it's going to save. And that's what we read here. And that's, of course, what Jesus says. When the Son of Man is lifted up, I think, okay... I get it. The rescue ride has to be lifted up. And it lifted up the the ark. And notice it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. The waters moved. And it says the ark moved about. So the ark, by the way, it tells me my rescue ride was never limited by the sinfulness of man or by the degradation or, for that matter, the destruction that came as a result of it. My rescue ride always sat on top of all of it. And it says it moved on the surface of the water. The waters prevailed exceedingly above the high hills under the whole heaven until the entire whole heaven was, was covered. And then God makes this interesting statement in verse 20. Notice it with me. It says the waters prevailed. How exactly how high did the waters get? What does it say? Excellent. 15 cubits. 15 cubits, in essence, 15 meters then. Or I should say, I'm sorry, that's seven and a half meters. Uh, what's, what's so important about that? Why would God even tell us? I mean, why didn't God just say, recovered? That was good enough, right? I find this interesting. When, when those kind of things happen, just so you know, in my own personal walk, and I want to encourage you to do the same, what I do then is I start to search throughout the entire Bible to find out if there's any other place where 15 cubits are. Because, I mean, that's kind of a significant thing. Because what I look at is, if I was underneath it, what I would see is, is that from the highest point where land is, there are 15 cubits, and then there's the rescue. And I went, okay, so somewhere after those 15 cubits is the place where God is, and the place where all of salvation is sitting, okay? There's only one other place in Scripture where there are 15 cubits. I find that interesting. When God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle, 
this gorgeous building where you can meet with me. And actually, it's an ugly building. That's the cool part about it. It's very unimpressive on the outside. The inside's beautiful. The outside's really, it's just going to be animal skins. It's going to be covered in kind of flesh. And you're going to go, well, that's not very impressive at all. And God goes, exactly. I don't want you to be drawn to the outside. It's the inside that's beautiful. And that's what I'm looking for. But this is the deal. And we're going to make this thing, and there's going to be this holy place, and this holy of holies. And then there's going to be this courtyard. And then there's going to be this film that's like this big fence all the way around. But this fence has to be basically made of a linen that's so beautiful you can see through it. And that's really important. Because I want to make sure that anybody who doesn't belong to me can walk on the other side of it and see what's going on and go, man, I want to be a part of that. And so, this is, this is very convenient to have here. At the moment. <laughs> so, and it's like, so I want it to be something so that if somebody isn't a part of me, it isn't that they feel excluded, but rather they feel invited. Because remember, I'm a God that says, come. So I want, to, I want you to be able to look. But what's interesting is, and of course this is important, is God never had two ways about it. There were never two ways about it. He says, look, there's going to be one entrance. You're aware of that. It's going to be on the east side, just like the beautiful gate. It's going to be on the east side. And here's the deal. The way that it's set up, it's basically going to be one long sort of screen on one side, then there'll be an opening, and then there'll be one long screen on the other side. I find it interesting. That screen's 15 cubits. In other words, there are 15 cubits, and then there's your one way in. 15 cubits, and there's your one way in. And here I am, there's the land, 15 cubits, and there's my way into salvation, my way into peace, my way into intimacy with the living God. It's that one spot. And I think God just took this whole thing and he flipped it sideways and he goes, look at that. That's the way it works. This is your one way in. And your one way in is through this, the rescue ride. And that rescue ride is one where I bid you to come in and join me. Oh, are people going to think you're weird? Of course they're going to think you're weird. Too bad. Get over it. You get to be with me. That's your, that's your gift in all of this. Will you follow me in? Will you follow me in this? And then ultimately it tells us, as it was 15 cubits, last few verses, all the flesh that moved on the earth, birds and cattle, beasts, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, every man who in his nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the land, they died. I destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping creeping thing, bird of the air. They were all destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Now, we'll get into that as we move into the next chapter. Here's my question. Does it say those who knew about the ark were saved? Does it say those that claimed to believe in the ark were saved? Does it say those who can actually teach you all the dimensions of the ark were saved? Those that were archaeologists were saved. Those who have television programs called I Know the Ark Personally were saved. Those who got the shirt that says, I saw the ark were saved. Those who write songs, oh, the ark, it's bigger than my park. Any of those... Were they saved? The only people that were saved were those who had more than a faith that said, I know it exists, but those that says, I'm going in, because that's the only way to salvation. Listen, beloved, whether you like it or not, God is not asking you to know about Him, first and foremost. He's inviting you in Him. He calls you to come into Him. And that's the point of this. And that's the whole point of the book of James. James is like, look, at there's a faith that doesn't have anything, and then there's a faith that works. That's the whole idea of it. Faith that works means your faith does something. And it's like, yeah, you'll be like, yeah, I believe there's a God. Well, what has He done for you? 
Well, I don't know. I believe he's there, and he'll probably let me in because I made the rules, and my rules favor me. Of course you wrote rules like that. You're not that dumb. You're just dumb enough to make up your own rules. And all of that, recognize that God says, look, it's on my terms, and my terms are I want you in me. I created you to be with me. I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to know me. And the only way you're going to know me is to let me in. Because I'll let you in. Because Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. Now, I don't know where you stand with the Lord today, but I'm going to tell you this. If you're willing to say yes to this gift of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, which, by the way, is your rescue ride and mine too, and willing to get on it, he's asking you to follow him there. He's willing to save you. And if you come to him, he'll never cast you away, but he's asking you into him. He's not asking you to be hanging around, and that's enough, because I can hang around McDonald's all I want, it won't make me a cheeseburger. And the bottom line is, I can hang around church I want, it won't make me saved. I want to get in Christ, because that's where I belong. And Jesus says, look, you need to be in me, and I need to be in you. Now, have you said yes to that? If you have, then I want to say, I'm pretty sure that God's going to call you to do something weird this week. This kind of message kind of tends to precursor that. Well, then be ready. Can we at least be the group that meets back next week and goes, wow, what was the weird? And we don't try to get who's weirdest, that kind of thing, because some of us are just weird by nature, and you just might win. But the issue is, are we, because the issue is obedience, right? Isn't that the issue? Are we willing to obey? Whatever the Lord tells us, obey. I mean, I'm thankful I don't have to be a prophet just to lay naked in a hole somewhere or, or cook food over my own dung or whatever. There's some pretty crazy things in Scripture, right? But to be honest, I mean, it's funny when people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, I teach people about Jesus. And then they look and they blink a couple times and cricket, cricket. And then they're like, why would you do that? Because I love him. And that's even weirder. And it's like, you know, like every question they're going to ask is going to add you. You're just going to climb the weird scale. You're going to skip rungs, man. Just, you know, they're going to ask, oh, I knew they were going to ask that next. Yeah, I believe in all that stuff. Yeah, I totally do believe in all that stuff. And he's going to come and suck me back in the sky. Yeah, I do believe that. Yeah. What about that weird guy that said he was coming back back then? Well, that was the one day I was sure he wasn't coming. I thought he might come the next day because it says it's a day when you least expect him. And I didn't expect him the next day. So, nor did anyone else. They were all bummed. So, uh, in and all, the thing is, it's like, but it does say this. The Lord is not slack as some cow in slackness. God's no slacker. He says he's long-suffering, not wanting, listen, not wanting any to perish. Your name there. The reason the Lord hasn't come back is because, yeah, it's because he wants you to say yes to him first. So as we go to prayer, I want to ask you a question. Are you in? Are you in with me? Because um, I'm in. I'm in in this thing. And I'm in it for keeps. Seal me in, man. I'm in it. I don't care if it smells like poop. I don't smell... People are like, oh, that church. It's it's like, hey, look, it's probably better than the ark unless the Lord did something fancy there. You know, the bottom line is, I'd rather be on the ark with God than drowning outside. And out there right now are people drowning. You don't have to walk far to see it. And I'm not talking about the rain. Where do you want to be? I'm in. And I'm inviting you in with me. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I just want to thank you so much for what you've done in chapter 7. I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful chapter. And it is horrible, too. I mean, to think of who knows how you know how many people perished in this thing. But Lord God, I know that had you not intervened, maybe, the, maybe even Noah could have been more affected or his sons could have been affected. And there would have been no one left. 
But you found one righteous man. You didn't even say you found three righteous men. You found one righteous man and it was enough to say, this is where I'm going to go. And you sought to protect him by removing from him all of these horrible things around him, Lord, that would have dragged him down and, and just, Lord. And you called him to do something crazy. So first I want to pray for every believer here, myself included. God, I pray for an extreme, radical, weird obedience. Lord, that we won't try to reason away when you call us to do something, Lord, and say, well, I don't think I understand it, so I'm just going to disobey and somehow you're going to be okay with it. Lord God, we want to obey because you call us to. And if it's weird, Lord, then we want to obey. And we just know that even if we didn't get our signals completely right, Lord, if we have a heart to obey, you would be blessed by that. We know you're not going to call us to sin. So we know that that's out of the question. The only thing left is usually something that our flesh isn't going to agree with. Why would the devil tell us to do that? And so, Lord, we pray for those moments when you say, go talk to that person or go and be available or go do this for that person or whatever, Lord, or, or whatever it is. That we'd be open and available to it, Lord. And we would have hearts that would obey you. And then we would stand in. So, Lord, this week, make us obedient to whatever the weird thing is you call us to or the normal thing. But Lord, make us people that are not going to freak out over that because we know that wherever we go, we are following you when you bid us to come. Not just telling us to go and then come back and tell you about it. So thank you, Lord, that you're a God who bids us to come and follow you. So I want to follow you, Lord, and I'm in this. I'm in this for keeps. But I pray if there be any in this room, Lord, who aren't sure or are sure that they haven't said yes to this gift. And Lord, they, they, maybe they don't want to call themselves a Christian because they've got all kinds of weird ideas about what that is or, or reinvented that idea in their own head and it just sounds so bizarre and yet here they are in a place where people are, are, are weird in a cool way and, and we love you and we love each other and, and, and they recognize there's a family here they're welcoming and God, in all of that, I recognize that, that they may know about you now but they, they also know there's a choice to make of whether they're going to say yes to the gift of you, Jesus. That they're willing to be found in you and let you come inside them and seal them, Lord, and protect them from your wrath. And so, God, I pray if there be any in this room right now that have not accepted this gift, that right now they would say yes. And I'm going to pray this simple prayer, Lord, you know this. And Lord, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, say yes, this is what you need right now. And listen, beloved, if you are in this room right now, I ask you to listen. And if you agree with this prayer, I ask you to say a resolved and strong amen at the end. And what you're saying is yes, let that be my prayer. Let those words be my words now. I'm going to take this stand in there as well. And here's the prayer. God, I'll confess to you, I'm a sinner. I am in need of your mercy. I'm in need of your grace. And you have shown it on the, on the cross of your son, Jesus the Christ. My rescue ride as you paid for all of my sin, unpunished all of my guilt on that cross. And he died for me so that I could be reconciled to you and live that life of intimacy that you call me to, to follow you in. And so I say yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. And because he resurrected three days later, as you promised, he offers me a brand new life. A life where you are my Lord, Jesus. A life where my life is translated and transferred and transformed in you. And recreated and reinvented. So Lord, I give you the rights to my life and every bit of it. Now, Lord, you have, my, have me. Have every bit of me and recreate me, reinvent me, do whatever you want, Lord. But in that, let me be with you. And in that, may me, let me celebrate the life you give me in you as I say yes to you. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my ransom, be my redemption, because I say yes. So, Father, have me and adopt me as your own. 
in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, I ask you to say resolvedly, Amen.